0: The last class of my old professor's life took place once a week in his house by a window in the study where he could watch a small hibiscus plant shed its pink leaves. The class met on Tuesdays. It began after breakfast. The subject was the meaning of life. It was taught from experience. No books were required, yet many topics were covered, including love, work, community, family, aging, forgiveness, and finally, death. The last lecture was brief, only a few words. A funeral was held in lieu of graduation. The last class of my old professor's life had only one student. I was the student.
1: So what I mean by accept is see the nature of your reality very clearly and then decide if this is the reality that you want, if you can do something about it on the existential level, you can't do anything about it. In terms of the fact of death is there, the fact that most human beings get ill during their lifetime, the fact is you're born and need to be nurtured by somebody, you know, and, and it's on and on. All the things that we can't avoid because we're human, that we have to accept. But unless you're clear on what it is, that's happening to you and how it's happening to you and how you might get out of it. You're not gonna be effective in trying to make the change.
0: That was the voice of Maury Schwartz. You are listening to Tuesday People, the podcast based on the book Tuesdays with Maury. My name is Mitch Album, and I had the great honor to sit alongside Maury during his final months of his life every Tuesday and learn some amazing lessons about life which we are now sharing 25 years later with the original tapes and with a different theme each Tuesday. And we're glad that you're joining us here. What you heard there was Maury Schwartz talking about how he dealt with the fact that he had a diagnosis of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And acceptance was the underpinning and the beginning of his approach to how he was going to deal with it and that's going to be the theme of today's program, and we're very blessed to uh, be welcoming a special guest in a second to talk about that. Lisa Goich our producer and co-host, is here as always. Lisa, good to have you here.
2: Happy Tuesday, Mitch, and Tuesday, people.
0: The special guest I mentioned is none other than Scott Hamilton, uh, whose name should immediately spark recognition because of his accomplishments in the world of figure skating. He is an Olympic champion, a multi-time U.S. champion. He goes hand-in-hand with figure skating from his accomplishments to his TV work, to his philanthropy, and to just being a really good spokesman and uh, ambassador for the sport and for humanity. But Scott's not here today because he can figure skate, uh, although we would all love to learn how to do that. (laughs) He's here because in addition to figure skating, from the time he was a young boy, he has had to deal with... Illness in the forms of brain tumors, in the form of testicular cancer, in the form of cancer that his own mother ultimately contracted and had to deal with. And he has written several books which touch on all of that in the course of his career. As a new one, that is a children's book called Fritzy Finds a Hat that tells the story of a young boy who tries to find the perfect hat for his mother as she undergoes cancer treatment. And so we thought, what a wonderful opportunity to talk to Scott about this very idea. Of how do you deal with the world, the people in your world, when illness comes into it? And we want to welcome Scott Hamilton to Tuesday People. Hi, Scott.
3: Hey, it's great to be on this. I'm excited to talk to you once again, and um, I mean this is a, a subject that truly touches us all. So I'm really honored uh, to be a part of this and to talk to you about the subject.
0: Well, we're 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 honored as well, and glad to have you. So I won't want to assume people will know. The background begin, if you would, by telling us, even from an early age, how illnesses have have kind of dotted your otherwise celebrated life.
3: <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, you know, I call it my unique hobby of collecting life threatening illness. Um, <laughs> you know, it. it <laughs> I was really, um, I was adopted at six weeks of age. You know, so, um, you know, my parents, you know, wanted to have a big family. Uh, they'd take my mother would take a child to all the way to birth and um, the child you know wouldn't make it through the, the birthing process you know just due to different circumstances so you know adopted at six weeks of age I was definitely you know uh, small uh, no one really knew the you know nature of that uh, size because you know, being adopted there's no real history of family or anything else so you know it's sort of a mystery and um, you know growing up happy and active and uh, like most little boys, um, it became obvious at around age four that I wasn't growing and that I was showing signs of stress, um, distended stomach, really no muscle development. I just wasn't growing properly. So, uh, for the next four years, I was in and out of hospitals trying to come up with some sort of diagnosis to what was wrong with me. And it was obviously, you know, very stressful on my family back then children's hospitals weren't as they are today. There was really no place for my mom to sleep except in a chair in the corner of the room. And, and, you know, it it was, it was tough to go from one place with no answer to the next place to find no answer to the next place to find no answer to the final place was uh, Boston children's where they basically said, we can't figure this thing out either. And if we can't, no one can. So just go home and live a normal life and see what happens. And, And so To give my parents a morning off, I went to the rink and started skating. And, um, for whatever reason, no one could figure out. And to this day, I can't figure it out. I just started to grow and develop and to start being more healthy. And, uh, it wasn't, you know, until much later, we feel that we found the source of that illness, you know, kind of a mystery all those years, but it's kind of miraculous that skating was really the only thing that helped me. Yeah, um,
0: in those those years. And what 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 and, did the source uh, end up being?
3: Uh, a pituitary brain tumor diagnosed in 2004. They gave my wife, um, you know, sort of the uh, you know information on this type of tumor, and she said, "Wow, listen to this." And she started to read it, and it said, "Craniopharyngiomas are usually detected early in a child's life due to a lack of growth and development."
2: Hmm. And it was kind
3: of like, "Aha." Wow. Yeah. Okay, I was born with this brain tumor. It was doing all of its mischief, you know, and and all of a sudden uh, it wasn't. And all I could think of was maybe it was the time that I crashed Gary Walker's bike into the telephone pole at his birthday party, and <laughs> you know, maybe that hit on the head sort of you know made it stop doing its mischief. But you know, for all those years that I skated, you know, I was I was you know I I was able to continue to build muscle and and to you know to you know, grow in in many ways athletically and, you know, even through the cancer in uh, 97. It was right. Extraordinary. You, you, all, you also, was I want to mention
0: that you came down with the testicular cancer. You had a battle with that in 1997, came back from that and skated again. So, what I want, and there's more to come, folks. Uh, to, as, as as Scott says, he collected these things, uh, but I, I want to stop there and ask you because this is the theme today is is to help people who are finding illnesses or bad diagnoses introduced into their lives how to deal with it. So I want to ask you because this happened to you when you were young. You were in hospitals for four years when you should have been out on the playground. How did that help or or hinder or haunt or ease your ability to deal with it, uh, both then and as an adult?
3: You know, I think when you're a kid, uh, you know, you just really want to play. You want to be a kid. But, you know, for me, for those four years, I was surrounded by other sick kids. And so that was my normal. My normal was, you know, I saw this kid, he's being fed through his stomach. I saw this kid who um was just coming out of surgery another kid you know whose parents were around the clock uh, another family um they had a daughter and the dad would bring me a balloon every day and we would play in the hallway with the balloon and and then one day they stopped coming to the hospital and hmm. i found out that um daughter didn't make it so you know for for me that was my my normal did that, that take were... the
0: fear out of it scott in any way?
3: I, you know, I, I do. I think whatever is normal is normal for whatever, even if it's abnormal, <laughs> you know, for yeah. most people. And for me, it was, you know, I, I was just around all these kids and they were at different levels of stress and anxiety. And some were there for short periods of time, some were there for longer periods of time. But, you know, I could have looked at it as a chamber of horrors. Um, which I did at times, I would hide under my bed, so they couldn't find me for the night test, yeah. or <laughs> I could look at it as, um, you know, this is kind of my day to day. And And my mom was great through all of that. She was an incredible woman. She was very compassionate and very strong and selfless and sacrificial. And she was extraordinary. So, you know, she was kind of my rock during all that time. She was kind of what I hung on to, to see, uh, am I doing okay? Is, is this so, you know, is, is, do I trust this person coming All in right. here? Or, you know, how, you know, and I could tell by her mood day to day, you know, what, you know, how I was doing, you know? So I, I learned that, you know, I, it wasn't always just how I felt, but um, how other people felt around me that I could figure out if i was doing okay and spoiled rotten. There'd be, you know, on days when there's going to be really invasive tests, you know, there was a toy
0: sure sure yeah
3: i got used to having whatever i want maybe the bigger the bigger
0: the toy the worse the test i don't know you might have come to dread the big toys when you had to then in adult life uh we mentioned 1997 testicular cancer entered your world were you better equipped because of what you had gone through as a child
3: you know maybe um it you know it, it the whole hospital thing was something i was kind of used to I just felt like this was um, a fork in the road, and uh, and it was up to me to figure out how I wanted to navigate it. You know, I was being moved. I, you know, I was living this big life and figure skating, and we were selling out arenas all over the country, and I, I was working hard, and, and I was being,
2: you know, I was
3: doing well financially, and but I just felt like there was something wrong, something about the way that I was living, that it just, it just felt like it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't the way I was supposed to be doing things. I just felt this kind of voice telling me that, you know, you need to, you need you course correct. You need, you know, this isn't right. This isn't the way you should be. And so when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was sort of an aha moment. It was like, okay, this is, <laughs> here we go. I'm being moved. I'm being, you know, set on a new course. And, um, and it was in that, you know, uh, the fear of that diagnosis was um, really uh, crippling. I just, I, you know, I was, you know, 50 cities into a 60 city tour. I was in an emergency room in Peoria, Illinois, where I figured I got to figure out why my abdomen, you know, pain, where it was coming from. I thought I had an ulcer. I couldn't stand up straight. You know, there was all these things. And and I was, you know, when you're a figure skater, you can't stand up straight. That's not really a...
2: No, Good yeah. thing.
3: <laughs> um, so I went in, I just I thought I maybe worked myself into an ulcer. And, you know, I stress about things. I was always kind of worried about everything and everybody else. And, and I just thought maybe I just worked myself into something bad. And, and so I went in and they put me through a battery of tests, and then they wanted to do them again. And then the doctor came in and he said, We found a mass. And, and I thought that was kind of funny because no one ever used the word mass in description of me before. You know, so it was one of those things where I, I, I was kind of chuckling. And he goes, No, no, this is serious. And, and I go, he, he said, it's either benign, malignant, or something else. And that's language I heard when my mother was diagnosed with her cancer. And so the fear was just like, I mean, every cell in my body was just, you know, in in dread fear. And I saw myself diminishing. I saw myself dying. And then I had this really weird thought, I'll never skate again,
2: (laughs) which is kind of like
3: weird at the time, you know, because you're thinking about, you know, just surviving. And, And he said, I don't know the source of it, but if it were me, I'd take care of it right away. And I don't know how it happened, but I took ownership of it almost. I, I you know, I always, you when know, I talk about it, it's either five minutes, five seconds, or a nanosecond. I have no idea, but that fear kind of turned into a sense of of you know, power and, and like you know, now I'm going to stand up to this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to hit it with everything I can and I'm going to survive. You know, that survival instinct sort of kind of came out of that initial fear. And I just decided that I'm going to go after this thing with everything I have and, and, so the the journey began you know i had to do a show that night and um you know i was thinking of course that this is the last show i'll ever do in my life and i better huh. make it a good one you know and <laughs> um then the pity party happened in the the second half when i was doing a, you know that that old you know kind of lieber store song i have nothing it was my big you know bleeding heart ballad you know that year i'd never really done one and of all years you know to kind of hear that music and those those words while I was skating, you know, it just sort of, it it was like, took me down to like, you know, okay, here we go. This is the last time I'll ever skate. And I feel so sorry for myself. And, and looking back on it, you know, I tell that story that I'm feeling sorry for myself. This is the most important performance I've ever given in my whole life. And then I look into the front row and there's a woman, you know, a very attractive woman and she was fixing her hair and makeup while I was skating. <laughs> <And> I thought, <laughs> okay, how big is this? You know, it's like the world goes on. And I just burst out laughing and sort of broke that spell of pity party. And I and and I went into my, you know, triple S. It's the hardest jump I ever did in competition. And and I, I, I reached for it and I figured, well, here we go. <laughs> it's the last one I'll ever do in my life. And, and it was just like... I was, I, I was still laughing. And so I landed it on kind of a wobbly leg and, and, uh, got through the rest of the program. And then I got on my tour bus that night and went straight to the Cleveland clinic and my, uh, treatment back to wellness, you know, sort of began, uh, then.
0: Mm. You know, you, there's so much in what you just said there that, that, is not only fascinating but is also pertinent to our audience about when you know it might not strike that might not be that cancer it might not be cancer it certainly isn't going to happen on a on an ice tour <laughs> more than likely uh but yet there are a lot of relatable moments to that so the fear let 's talk about the fear for a moment. I think fear is such a crippling thing uh in 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 every walk of life but particularly when it comes to illness because you know, fear of losing your job, fear of losing a girlfriend or a boyfriend, fear of uh, of, of financial things. There are plenty of, of examples out there of, of people who do quite well uh, having endured all of that. But with fear of a disease, and particularly particularly uh, a disease like cancer, the fear is you're not going to come out of it because there are many examples of people who do not and you had in your own life as you say with with your mother so what's the best way to deal with that fear first and foremost mm-hmm. so that it doesn't cripple you for the battle that you have ahead so you don't be, crawl into a hole and just say i'm just going to be frightened until i die
3: you know i i think for everyone their their journey is their journey you know and and for everyone, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, searching for perspective. And I think everybody kind of looks for, you know, an example or looks for, you know, sort of that life raft of, am I going to be okay? And, you know, where, where am I going to get the, the information, the support for, you know, a lot of them, it's that, you know, appointment with their oncologist is, uh, am I going to be okay? Well, they hear, you know, statistics are blah, blah, blah. And I think that, you know, I've, I've learned so much, you know, uh, throughout my journey that I I wanted to fix it in so many ways. You know, when, when I went on the internet and the internet back in 1997, (laughs) what the internet is today, right?
2: No. So I went on
3: the internet and all I could find was medical journal papers on testicular cancer, which had 12 syllable words in it. And I was like, Wow, I'm too dumb to be sick. You know, I just
2: I, <laughs> I
3: don't I just don't have the intellectual capacity to be sick. So that was like check one. I got to figure this thing out. So I, you know, I, I sort of, <clears throat> I you know, I listen to my oncology nurses, who you know, to me are on the front lines, man. They are they're the people that you interact with day to day, and and from there, it just sort of you know, you go on instincts, right? You sort of uh, how am I doing? Am I feeling? You know. Well, am I am I going according to the the protocol that, you know, they said, you know, after round one of chemo, your hair is going to fall out? Well, mine was falling out anyway, you know, I was falling <laughs> my day to day. But but I was like, you know, how how am I doing how one thing after it was almost like how much can you take now? And so getting through that first round was really remarkable because, you know, I took control and did what, you know, other people told me to do when your hair falls out, just shave it off. So I did. And, um, you know, when you get to round two, you know, you've got to, you know, you got to start moving and you got to do these. And I just I just tried to be a good soldier, you know, do as I'm told, do as I'm told, do as I'm told. And and I I just sort of look back on that time and I realized that I was flying blind. You know, I I needed other you know cancer survivors in my life. I needed to know from people that had been there, done that, you know, how, how am I doing? How am I, am I, am I, am I, you know, 99th percentile or am I, you know, first percentile? I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, I'm used to getting marks. I'm used to getting applause. I'm used to getting those things that would kind of give me the feedback on how am I doing? And, and I didn't have that, you know, really at all. And getting to the end of round three, you know, I realized that I wanted to quit. I just, I had one more round. It was the the protocol for testicular cancer back then. And I think it still is, 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 you know, there is a pretty much an eight hour infusion, a slow drip infusion over you know, eight hours, five days in a row. And then, you know, you take uh, three weeks or two and a half weeks off in 16 days. And then you come back to the five days in a row. And, um, after the third five days in a row, I, I looked at my body. I was bloated. I didn't have a hair on my body. I felt sick. I just, I I was tired. I just, you know, I, I, there, that's when the real pity party, you know, sort of kicked in. And I just wanted to quit. And my buddy, Steve Cousins, uh, uh, skater from England, you know, really dear friend. He looked at me and he smiled and he goes, how many rounds you got left?
2: And I
3: I got one more round of five days. And he goes, "Yeah, you can do that." I said, "I can yeah. do that." So I got through that, and then um, I had to take six weeks off before the surgery, which is a thirty-eight staple surgery from my sternum down to my groin. Um, they just—it's like I call it fillet of Scott, right? You know, so they to <laughs> open you up, go through everything, and make sure that they're able to see, you know, where the cancer was, what it looks like now, and um, go through all the lymph just to make sure. And when you're a skater and, you know, core strength is everything to you. And now you've got this scar that goes all the way down, you know, your abdomen. It's kind of like, wow, it's like where it was pliable tissue, you know, the seam. And it's it, it was weird. And the fear was unbelievable going into the surgery. And, you know, the doctor, Dr. Klein, you know, he looked at me right before and he goes, you ready? And I, and I go, I'm scared. And he goes, what are you scared of? I go, well, have you ever done one of these before?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've done seven this month. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm good. Right, let's go. We're going to be good to go. And it was there that, you know, uh, you know, after the surgery being, you know, basically you're cancer free, you're done. It's all gone. Your blood counts, you know, everything's normal. We took a you know what was twice the size of a grapefruit tumor that shrunk down to the size of a golf ball of dead tissue. We took that out, and you're good to go and for whatever reasons you know that year, coming back to life, I just got massively ambitious. you know I put together a program that I thought was four and a half minutes long and it was really six twenty and I've never done anything like that bold and adventurous and 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 taxing, you know so you know, I just came out of the cancer thing swinging. I just wanted to, I was just fighting to get every bit of my life back. And, uh, and, you know, I knew that it was, I was given a second chance. And so I was going to, you know, use that second chance and, and change the way I was living, change, you know, everything. I tell people now when I'm speaking that you've really got three choices. You can, you know, succumb, adapt, or evolve. And, um, instinctually, I just felt like this is the second chance to evolve and to be. Someone that you know different, be someone more alive than I've ever been before, and um, that's that was my swing thought mm. going into mm. next life.
0: I want to uh, play you a, a a cut of of Mori when uh, he and I were talking. Of course, he had ALS. It's different than cancer yeah. in that there, they, you know, sadly at that time and still at this time there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, you know, at, yeah. at best, you might be able to scramble away to stay alive, and at worst, it takes you. And at 78, you know, he wasn't kidding himself. But uh, there is there are parallels here in terms of, you know, he sort of changed priorities as well, and particularly with his time and the people that he spent his time with, and he found uh, that he could revel in the company of the people that cared about him. And he it made a huge a difference to him and he began to feel grateful and i want to ask you about gratitude after an illness like that listen to what maury said about that
1: find meaning in your present moment do the kinds of things that come from the heart an open giving loving heart when you do that you're not dissatisfied you're overwhelmed with gratitude which is what i find now you come in, Paul comes in, you know, Debbie's going to come later on in the day, they are just building me up. So you do that by having those kinds of relationships and making them the important source of your life.
0: Now you wouldn't think that gratitude would be a word that necessarily would enter the vocabulary of someone who got hit with a terrible disease or someone who got hit with testicular cancer right in the middle of their the prime of their uh, of their sports and entertainment career but I'm imagining that gratitude started to play a more significant uh role in your life maybe even during the diagnosis and during the treatment and afterwards can you talk about that
3: yeah, you know, the, the the treatment I was I was fascinated by it. And I guess that's the best way to put it. I I at that time, you know, I I set some ground rules up that, you know, I really wanted to create sort of a sacred space in my room where you really I I didn't want anybody around me that didn't make me laugh. You know, I I really wanted that to be the memory I had during, you know, that time. So you know, it's like if you, your admission to my room was make me laugh. And, you know, my friends would show up with, you know, skinhead wigs and beagle puss glasses and funny movies. And, um, you know, it was just, they got it, you know, they knew that I didn't want to look back on the time as something of um, that was awful. Like right after my diagnosis, all the cast, you know, they came up from Dayton on the day off with the next city and there was a lot of uncertainty around what was next for me. They knew I was going to have chemo and they really just wanted to come all the whole cast wanted to come and, and um, just sort of visit with me before, you know, all of that big adventure happened. And Kurt Browning showed up and he goes, you know, we were doing our top 10 list last night in the locker room and, and the top ten list was uh, top ten things that Scott could do with his discarded testicle, <laughs> 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 you know. And it was like they they that was the best medicine I could have I could have gotten. That was it. It was like I I have to find a way to to laugh through all of this and to find mm. humor in all of this. And and I had an incredibly supportive skating family. Like I called my. Stars and Ice family, you know, um, I had, you know, dear people to you know, see me through it, you know, see me through the chemo and, you know, day to day, just sort of look after my needs, which I'll always be grateful for, you know, very special people that I, right. I, I look back on that now and I'm, I'm extre- extremely grateful for it. But in my survivorship, like once the whole thing was done, I knew I had to step away from the life that I'd been living. And I I don't know why it was sort of an instinctual thing. It wasn't like I had to, you know, like I was upset or bitter or angry about anything. I wasn't. I just knew that I needed to kind of allow the dust to settle and I needed to step away and and almost be alone for a while to kind of figure this thing out. And so I call it my adventure. You know, living in Denver, sort of got in my car and I drove and, and I... I stopped in Colorado Springs and did a speech, um, you know, and then from there, it's like, where am I going now? And I just drove until I, you know, I, I went, I said, I've never been to New Mexico. So I drove through New Mexico and I thought how beautiful it was. And then I realized that I was really close to a friend of mine ran the La Paloma Resort in Tucson. I said, I could drive there and <laughs> um, hang out there for a while and just sort it out. So I called him and I said, can you give me a good deal in a room?
2: <laughs> and he said, yes.
3: And so driving into Phoenix, an animal jumped out in front of my car. Um, I was in cruise control and I went to dodge the animal and I spun out into the desert and my car was kind of wrapped up in this uh, barbed wire fence. And so, okay, I limped into Tucson, took the car in. It was basically, you know, they said for all intents and purposes, mechanically it's okay, but the car's totaled. And I go, all right, well, time to get a new car. (laughs) Wow. You know, it was just sort of reacting, reacting, reacting. And then I ended up getting, finding the car that I wanted, but it was in L.A. And I said, well, I'll just fly to L.A. and pick it up. And so I did that. And then I stayed with friends in L.A. for a while. And then I decided I needed to kind of spend some time there. I found an apartment. I rented it for the summer. I was working out at a rink in um, Culver City when I just started, you know, skating again, you know, slowly. And and it was, um, you know, it was crazy. You know, I was diagnosed on March 17th, 1997. And on March 17th, uh, 2000, I was doing a show in Memphis and we would benefit St. Jude. Children's research Hospital, a target house there. Tony Thomas had some guests coming to the show. I thought it was a date, you know, really, you know, kind of, it wasn't, it was just friends coming to the show. And so I talked to this girl for about 10 minutes and um, I realized that now it's time for me to, you know, kind of get off the bench. And I, I realized I was kind of now, if I could meet somebody like her, I was open to a relationship, you know, really open to kind of, stepping back into life. This is three years later, you know, I was touring and I was working and kind of just not, it it, it was just sort of like, okay, my adventure time is over time to step back into life and, you know, and try to find somebody to share my life with little did I know it was going to be her. Mm. Mm. (laughs)
2: Um,
3: it, It was crazy. It was a, we call it best, worst day. Um, so um, I'm playing golf with Tony later that summer. He, he says, you know, um, he, he was on the phone, kind of all lovey-dovey. I go, is that that girl from Memphis? And he said, Tracy. I go, I don't remember her name, but, you know, I just remember this girl that you had there as your guest. And he goes, no, she's like my little sister. It's like, really? Well, I kind of thought she was pretty amazing. And, and he said, well, she's moving to L.A., I think, this week. <laughs> so I go, can I get her number? So, you know, uh, about a month and a half later, we went out on our first date. We've been together ever since.
0: All of that yeah. happens in this uh, aftermath of, yeah. you know, what up till that point is the worst thing that could happen. There's There's a lot of perspective to be gained on that when you look back mm-hmm. on it. And do you now say because i had that disease because i had to deal with that disease i am wiser in what what would you how would you finish that sentence i'm wiser in the area of
3: perspective it's you know i've learned through my unique hobby of collecting life threatening illness that our bodies are really fragile they're susceptible to really really weird things happening to them they're also extremely resilient, you know, you know, in certain cases, you know, that you can survive these life-threatening illnesses. And I realized, you know, ultimately that, yeah, there were susceptible and were resilient, but were also ultimately temporary. And it gave me this perspective that I've got to, you know, live my days joyfully. And I've got to, you know, no matter what my circumstance, I've just got to to take advantage of each day in an extraordinary way, because it's an opportunity for really cool, wonderful, great things to happen. You know, I I meet a lot of survivors that they they live in dread fear that they're going to have to go through it again. Well, you know, seven years after my cancer survivorship, I'm diagnosed with a brain tumor, (laughs) you know, and it's kind of like, oh, my goodness. So that brain tumor allowed me to understand that I'd always had that brain tumor. I'd always had you know, this thing kind of that was happening in my body. And now I had to deal with it. So they did radiation. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, I, I dodged another bullet. And, you know, um, a year later, we have, you know, actually four years later, we have um, our second child, which is impossible uh, because of, you know, testicular cancer, eh, right? Fertility uh-huh. is kind of like uh, a little bit different. And then a pituitary brain tumor. You eh, eh. <laughs> know Now what am I going to do? But it just sort of, it all worked out, um, where I had the right medical care. I had the right advice. I had the right perspective. Um, we had the right intentionality. And, you know, when it became apparent that, you know, these six injections a week that I was self-injecting, uh, were, were not going to, you know, give us, you know, what we wanted. Tracy and I talked about it and I said, you know what? If, if God wants us to have another child, we will. And um, sure enough, you know, a couple months later, after giving up on all the injections, we find out that we're expecting max. So now I'm a father of two. Um, we're blessed beyond our wildest dreams. And uh, the brain tumor comes back.
2: <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, no, no,
3: no, <laughs> this is not fair. And that one, you know, it's like when I was diagnosed with cancer, it's like, let's get busy, let's get to work. When I was diagnosed with the first brain tumor, you know, it was prayer and more prayer and more prayer. And then when the brain tumor came back in 2010, it was like, okay, this is not fair. And we went into this dread of this whole thing. It was just, you know, what am I? Well, it's presented itself for surgery. It's like, oh, I don't want, I just don't feel good. You know, it's like, Negative. This, this one was negative, and it just felt weird that both of us, who had been so positive throughout everything,
2: were now kind
3: of living in this negative space. Well, the the surgery didn't go as well as it was supposed to. I, I, I developed an aneurysm. I had to kind of figure out how to obliterate that. It was like one surgery became nine. You know, and when it's your brain, it's, it's really frightening. You know, am I going to be diminished? And all these negative things happened, and all these things kept showing up throughout. So even when, um, whew, even when we think that, you know, things aren't going the way we're they're supposed to be going, you know, with all the, you know, the, you know surgery that didn't go and all these, the frightening things that were happening, you know, it was meant to strengthen us. It was meant to put us in touch with the right things. And it was more prayer and more faith and more, you know, putting our, our future in, in his hands. And, again, it was perspective. And, you know, hearing Tracy talk about it, you know, years later, uh, when the tumor came back in 2016, she was doing an interview and, you know, and everything it was about, we're going to go through this joyfully. Everything is going to be, no matter what happens next, we're going to approach it joyfully. And, you know, the interviewer was kind of like, well, how do you do that? And she said, you know, I remember it. She said, Joy isn't the lack of fear and suffering. It's how you go through it. Right. And I was just I was blown away. It's like that's why I married you. <laughs> yeah, <'cause laughs> you get it. You get the whole thing. That's why. Yeah. And it's true. It's
0: wow, amazing. I want to I want to re- I want to repeat that because it's a really wise analysis. Uh say it again for us. Joy is not
3: the lack of fear and suffering. It's how you go through it.
0: It's how you go through the fear and suffering. And that is such yeah. a brilliant, a brilliant, uh, arming of people who are going to, who are listening to us, who are dealing with this or eventually going to have to deal with this in some way that you don't look at the, as, oh, there goes my joy. And I can't have any more joy. It's more like, okay, I need my joy. And in listening to your incredible story, and I mean, it is it is incredible. I know the laughter with which you were able, even even when you're talking about things that are scary, you still found moments to be able to laugh. You still surrounded yourself with people who could make you laugh and ultimately married someone who saw the value of joy as not only an ingredient in life, but a weapon. Uh, in life for when you have to deal with these uh, terrible things. And it is brilliant uh, as a strategy. And uh, there is a reason, Scott, that uh, that you have been able to survive all this. And I think at least part of it is to share this kind of stuff with other people. It's a great perspective. And you, I, I, I don't want to let you go without uh, acknowledging that you, well, first of all, you do an incredible amount of philanthropic work for everything that you've done in the skating world it's it's overwhelmed by what you do for other people uh and from helping them with their groups to the scott hamilton cares foundation but you also went through this on the other side when you lost your mom ultimately to cancer and yeah. you have written a book uh for kids which is really important and, and will we'll end with this lesson but i think there's something important to share because some of our people who are listening to us they have uh children who they themselves are now having to deal with their parents being sick, uh and how do you deal with that? So you wrote a book, Fritzy Finds a Hat, which sounds very Dr. Seussish, but really it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's much more than that. It's a story of a of a little boy who has to find the hat for his mother because she's undergoing cancer treatment. And as someone who, who lost his mother to cancer, uh tell us what you would advise people to tell their children if they themselves or someone that they they love is sick or has some kind of terminal illness or has cancer or has something that's scary as to how the children can best deal with it.
3: When my mom came home from her doctor's appointment, you know, she just said, family meeting. And we're like, what's a family (laughs) meeting? We've never really done that before. And she just, she sat us down and she said, now I just come from the doctor and she had kind of a smile on her face. And, um, and she goes, I've just been diagnosed with an illness called cancer. And she was being very matter of fact about it. And she goes, I'm going to have some treatments and I'm going to have some surgery and I'm going to need some help around the house because I'm still raising a family, teaching school and going to school. I'm just going to need some help and support. And so she gave us all our marching orders and it was done in a way that it didn't allow us. To have the fear that I'm sure she was going through at the time, and the way that she handled her her adventure was truly remarkable. You know she, you know she would say things like, "Oh, this chemotherapy, I finally found a way to lose all this weight. Chemotherapy, I wanted to quit smoking all these years. Now I have no desire. And oh, this chemotherapy, I've always hated my hair. These wigs are so beautiful and so much easier. <laughs> and it was like she taught me." how to go through cancer in the way that I went through cancer because I was scared. And then she kind of came back to me and it was like, no, this is, you know, let's, let's change the environment. Let's make this fun. And, and I, I've always thought when I was diagnosed back with, you know, the tumor again for the third time in 2016, I was, it was like, okay, now I'm going to have to tell the kids and they're older now and they have perspective. And so it's like, well, how do I tell them? I go, I, you know, is the brain tumor back that? I go, it is, it is, it's back,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's fine.
3: And do I look worried? No, I don't look worried. I'm not worried. So let's, let's, let's live our days and let's have our fun and let's, you know, not think about this thing is debilitating. And, and my mom didn't survive her cancer, but you know, the way that she went through it really taught me a lot. And I, and I guess in that way, it was sort of the inspiration for, you know, when a parent is is you know is diagnosed with cancer, it's what do we do to help them go through it? Well, we do everything that we can. In this way, you know, this little boy um, who's watching his mom go through cancer, it's like, what can I do? Well, I can find her the perfect hat, and um, it was really fun. You know, uh, Mary Coffeen uh, from the Moffitt Cancer Center, you know, since so her brainchild and. And it's like, well, we need, you know, an illustrator. And I thought, well, you know, my friend Brad Paisley is an artist and he loves to do art. He loves to do other things, but I'll ask him. And so he said, I'd love to do it. And it just seemed like, you know, an amazing thing because how do we tell our children that, you know, we're up against something? And how do we share this thing in order to humanize it and to make it something that, they, they now can understand in their way. It's not an easy thing. I, I hate cancer. I, I, but you know, I figured instead of waiting for somebody else to do something, we, we can do something together, you know, through the proceeds of this book, raise money for much needed research in the, in the way of immunotherapy. You know, I do believe that our bodies create the cancer have the ability to eradicate it.
0: Well, you're absolutely right on on a million levels, uh, not the least of which is the immunotherapy. As as someone who lost a child to cancer, uh, I always thought that uh, that was where the best hope was as well. And we had to travel to Germany uh, and live in Cologne, Germany for stretches of time because you couldn't get the immunotherapy treatments here in the United States because it's really just at the beginning stages uh and yeah. uh, had to go someplace else around the world and that's crazy you know the America should be leading the world in saving its children and it shouldn't be because uh well FDA hold ups or this that and the other thing hold up. So you shouldn't have to travel <laughs> get around get the world.
3: Don't get me started. Yeah. Yeah
0: no yeah. no that's that's yeah. a show for another day. But but <laughs> yeah. the but the uh the, the thing that I want to thank you so much for Scott is that You've given some perspective to the fact that you are going to get hit with something in life. None of us get to live mm-hmm. forever and none of us get to live without any blemishes, uh, y- you know, for a thousand years. So at some point, yeah. something is going to challenge you. It may happen young, as it did to you. It may happen older, uh, as it did to you. It may happen in the middle, as it did to you. You're you're a walking <laughs> example of all the different <laughs> stages. But you, your resiliency and your uh, your proof that you know there is a strategy to it, and there are ways to deal with it, and there are ways to come out of it, and not to give away your life. To these diseases. Don't give away all your days. Don't give away all your joy. Don't give away all your moments with people. Even Maury, who was lying there unable to move. I mean, you know, literally had to be lifted Mm. from place to place. Had to turn. I had to turn his head just to have him look at me. You know, he would say, Mitch, I can't see you. Turn my head. So turn, turn his head so that his eyes could make one. Even that he found the moments. Of joy, of laughter, of, of, of humanity, of communication with the people that he loved in, in, in a disease that literally froze him in place. So if he could do that and you could do what you've done with all the various battles with cancer and brain tumors that have come back, then there is a strategy, folks, and there is something that works. Uh, and there is a way and don't be overcome with the fear and don't be paralyzed into Losing touch with humanity and all the other good things of 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 life that there are, because you got an illness. So Scott, I can't thank you enough. It's been such a pleasure to uh, hear your your story. It's just (laughs) phenomenal. I mean, you know, you you, you've talked for uh, you know thirty forty minutes and never even mentioned winning an Olympic gold medal, and Ah. uh, and it's such a fascinating (laughs) story. So. Uh, I yeah. really want to th- thank you thank you for being a part of the Tuesday People podcast and, and for what you're doing for the world with the Scott Hamilton Cares Foundation all the proceeds from Fritzy Finds a Hat go to that and uh, and to help other people through what you've gone through so may you have many 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 more years and may you join us again on this uh, a podcast sometime in the future
3: Ah, oh, you're so kind and and you know I appreciate all that you do in the community and all the awareness and everything you do in Haiti and um, I have two Haitian children. So, you know, this, yes. uh, it's anything, anyone that loves Haiti as much as we do, you know, I'm I'm grateful. And, um, you know, this life is meant to be lived. And, and I appreciate, you know, this platform that you are allowing people to truly understand their lives differently and in a much more impactful and healthy way. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And um, I love your writing. I love your platform. I love what you do for Detroit. I mean, you're a good, good man, and I'm inspired by you.
0: Well, the feeling is is doubly mutual, and uh, I really appreciate you taking time, and, and thanks. We'll talk again, I'm sure. Thank you. Scott Hamilton uh, joining us here on the Tuesday People podcast. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday uh, with another lesson shared from my old professor, and uh, hopefully that helps make your life better. Uh, until then, uh, with Lisa Goitsch, uh, this is Mitch Album, wishing you a great week and see you next Tuesday. Thank you
2: for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because after all, we're Tuesday People.